0: Well, we come to that point in our service now where we have a change of direction. Up until now, our worship has been directed toward heaven. Through eyes of faith, we've joined with the church triumphant in heaven, the saints that have gone before us, with the hosts of angels that surround the throne of God and the throne of the Lamb, our Lord Jesus Christ, who sits at the right hand of God. Now the direction changes now God speaks to us. The direction is toward you. And he does it through the preaching of his word, through the weakness of preaching. And so, this is a sacred moment. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and your hearts in prayer as we prepare to hear God's word. Heavenly Father, As we sang earlier, great is thy faithfulness. O God, our Father, your mercies truly are great. And we thank you that we have been able to join with saints across the globe, with saints and the angels of heaven, to present before you our praise, our prayers, and our adoration. And Lord, now as we Prepare to turn our attention to your word. Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts that are open to hear what you would have to say to us. I pray that you would anoint me with your Holy Spirit, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart might be pleasing to you, and that I might preach and teach clearly and accurately from this passage today in your word. Help us, Lord, as we sit at your feet to learn what it means to live together as a church and to be servants. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, for those of you who don't know me very well, I've already been introduced. My name is Dick Jenkins. Uh, my wife, Carolyn, and daughter, Jamie. And I first came to Christ Church a Grove Farm, I think it was almost exactly three years ago today. I know it was mid to late August three years ago. We were attending another church in the area, and we weren't looking for a new church. We actually came here because some friends of ours in our house group wanted to come here to hear the worship team and see how the music was here. And so we came that day, and we never left. It must, it must have been great music. But it was more than the music. Uh, Pastor John Guest was preaching that day, and I still remember his sermon. And I, I have to say to you, to be totally honest, I, I am in awe that uh, just three years later, that I am standing here in this pulpit preaching, I, I am truly in awe be standing in the same pulpit that was filled for so many years by someone uh, with the stature of John Guest. This church has been privileged over the years, and I think you know this, I certainly hope you know this, to have a man of God uh, who was such a fine teacher and preacher and pastor and evangelist. And I know we have big shoes to fill here, and with God's grace and the Holy Spirit's leading that will eventually happen. But to be standing in this pulpit that for so many years he filled fills me with a sense of awe. I'll tell you a little story. I I went to seminary at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. Now, I know there's a Trinity seminary over in Ambridge. This is Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, it was TEDS, T-E-D-S for short, we just called it TEDS, it's in the northern suburbs of Chicago, moved out there in 1983. And uh, the school at that time, and as far as I know still is, was a school that was renowned internationally for its great faculty. So many of the faculty members of the school were published, and uh, probably not names that most of us would recognize, but in the, in the uh, evangelical academic world, some very well-known people. And the school had a marketing sol- a slogan to draw students, and it went like this. It said, come and study with the people who wrote the books. It's pretty effective, right? You can go to other schools, and you can read the same books, but come to Trinity and study with the people who actually wrote the books. So, uh, when we first went there, they had a reception one evening, just an informal reception for incoming students, and it was a chance to meet and greet with the faculty, and uh, they had refreshments, and there was some informal sharing, and a microphone was passed around so those who wanted to could could share their experience of what led them to the school. it's been thirty years but for some reason this has stuck with me one of the incoming students, just picture a young enthusiastic guy with all this earnestness, all the earnestness in the world, takes the microphone and he looks around and he says, I feel like all my spiritual bubblegum cards have just come to life. (laughs) I I feel a little bit like that. I don't have any spiritual bubblegum cards but if I did uh, I would probably have an R.C. scroll and uh, I would definitely, uh, if I had one treasure, a John Guest card. And I mean that. I, I sincerely mean I'm humbled. I'm, this is a privilege to be able to preach from this pulpit, and I'm honored to do it this morning, and to be preaching in a preaching series that Dr. Guest actually kicked off with the first two messages. We've been, if, you have, if you're here for the first time or... Um, have been away for a while. We're in the middle of a summer preaching series called One Another, how we live together as a church. And we've seen that through the weeks as we've looked at the different, in the New Testament, different passages that have that phrase one another that admonish us or instruct us. how to to be toward one another, we've learned that we're to spur one another on to good works. We're to encourage one another. We're to forgive one another. We're to be devoted to one another. All of the one another passages in the New Testament. And now this morning we come in Galatians chapter 5, beginning with verse 13, to another one. And here we're told that we are to serve one another in love. I have the passage up on the screen, Galatians 5.13. I'm going to ask you, let's read it together in unison, okay? Galatians 5.13. The Apostle Paul writes, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, but rather serve one another humbly in love. So we see that as we live together as a church, we're to be servants. How many of you are fans of or at least have watched the PBS series Downton Abbey? A few? It's a great series if you haven't seen it. It's in its its fourth season starting in January. But it's actually a a wonderful story. It's what they call a period piece. It's set in England about 100 years ago. And it is the story of a family an aristocratic family named the Crawleys. And they live in this huge mansion, actually a castle. And uh, they're aristocrats, so they don't do anything. But they're wealthy, and they have, for five people, a family of five people, a, a father, a mother, and three daughters, they have 20 or 30 servants in the house to take care of everything. And the stories are great. And watching the show and getting involved in all of the, all of the things that are going on, one thing that becomes clear is that in, the, in Downton Abbey, the servants are the stars. They are the people who are really the stars of the program with their stories. It's the same thing in the church. In the church, servants are the stars. But unlike Downton Abbey, in the church, there are no aristocrats. Let me say that again. There are no aristocrats in the church. Period. We're all servants, we're all here to serve one another. We may have different spiritual gifts, we have, may have different talents, we may have different abilities. But in one way or another, we're all equal in that we are servants together in the church. In the three years that I've been here at Christ Church Grove Farm, I've had the privilege of uh, doing a couple things. I started out in the cafe, second shift, once a month. The cafe, by the way, is a great place to serve if you're looking for some place to get involved with the church. Served in the cafe. I took up my position behind the pastry counter and handed out cookies and donuts. Some of you are probably saying, that's where I know this guy from. I knew he looked familiar. Yeah, that was me. I was the one handing you a big slab of chocolate cake with gooey chocolate icing at 10.30 on a Sunday morning. That was me. I serve as as an usher. I'm on an usher team. Next Sunday in September, nine o'clock service here in the sanctuary. I'll be serving as an usher. Sean Walters and I will be positioned by that back door way back there on the right. Most of you probably don't know there's a door there. I, like ushering at that, I, I liken ushering at that door to playing right field in church softball. There's just not a lot of action over there because you can't see the door from the sanctuary. Nobody knows it's there. So, even if they sit on this side, they still come in the middle doors and then go over. So, just a word to you. First of all, God bless you people out in the right field bleachers. And I'll see you next month. Uh, For the rest of you, if you think of it next month, please come over and come through our door. Sean and I would love to give you a service sheet. We don't get to pass out too many. And then you can come back to the middle. Uh, I'll be in trouble if I don't mention this, but the reason I don't serve in the cafe anymore is because I'm teaching a Sunday school class. Uh, Pastor Jared and I say Sunday school. It's actually called adult ed, and uh, we have a class. I have a class over in the chapel at 10:15. In September, we're going to be beginning a study of the book of Revelation. So, again, make a note of that and come and uh, join the class for that study. We'd love to have you. And of course, I'm serving right now, in a way too. So we're all called to serve but it's more it's about more than just doing works of service in the church that's great that's what we want to do we all want to be involved because that's what we're supposed to be doing but there's something here that's deeper and more spiritual it's having a servant attitude having a servant heart and that's what's most important when we talk about living together as a church we have a model for service in Jesus Christ Paul in, the, in Philippians said, "Let this attitude be in you, which was also in Jesus Christ." What did he do? Well, it says, "For being in the very nature of God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped." Guys, I notice we're not getting slides in the front. Is that? Oh, it's behind me. I'm sorry. I thought they were going to be over here. My apologies. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, he humbled himself. Taking the nature of a servant, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's our model. So it all starts, really, with a Christ-like servant attitude. And in the passage we're going to study here, in Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 26, we're going to see that being a servant and serving one another and living with one another in the church is something that is rooted in how we are spiritually, how, the Holy, how we are in relationship to the Holy Spirit in our lives. Three points have a simple outline for this passage. I encourage you, if you haven't already, take your service sheet, go to page 6, uh, so that you can follow along. But we're going, to see, first of all, through, we're going to see, first of all, that there's a choice to be made, verses 13 through 15. We're also going to see that there's a conflict to be won. And we're going to see that there's a character to be cultivated. First of all, the choice. When, in verse 13, you'll notice, when it says, serve one another in love, it's, followed, it's preceded by the word rather. It's not just a direct admonition, hey guys, serve one another in love, but it's preceded with rather, rather serve one another in love. In other words, this is an alternative. It's a choice. We can serve one another in love or do something else. Well, what is the other thing we can do? If we see what precedes the word rather, the Apostle Paul says, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature, rather serve one another in love. So that's our choice. We can use our freedom to indulge the sinful nature, or we can serve one another in love. Now, those two don't sound like they're polar opposites, do they? But if we read a little further in what he says, he says in verse 14, the entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself, If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So we can indulge the sinful nature and bite and devour one another, or we can serve one another in love and fulfill God's law for us to love our neighbors. That's our choice that's before us. And it's all based on our freedom in Jesus Christ. Notice what he says there. But you brothers and sisters were called to be free. A lot of people don't think of Christianity as freedom. They think of it as exactly the opposite. People without Christ who are unbelievers sometimes think they're free because I can do whatever I want. But Christ sets us free. What does he set us free from? He sets us free from a guilty conscience. He sets us free from condemnation. He sets us free from sin. We have freedom in Christ. Back in chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Jesus Christ is the great liberator. On the cross, he signed our emancipation proclamation. And he freed us from guilt. He freed us from the burden of having to earn our salvation by keeping laws and going through rituals. We're free in Christ. And so you might get the idea, well, that's great. If I have freedom in Christ, I can just do anything I want. I can just live any way that I want. R.C. Sproul talks humorously about Christians who have that idea, and their anthem that they sing is, free from the law, oh, happy condition, I can sin all I want and still have remission. I'm sure Dr. Curry could uh, put that to a nice orchestra arrangement, but we won't. I can sin all I want and still have remission. No, says Paul, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. The word indulge there, the actual word in the Greek, actually has the meaning of do not let, use your freedom to let the flesh or your sinful nature set up a base of operations in your heart, in your life we wouldn't let Al-Qaeda uh, contract out to set up a base of operations in Kansas, would we? Actually, we might. It'd be easier to bomb them, right? <laughs> but you get the idea. We could save on drones. Get them on one base, boom. But that's the idea there. Don't let your sinful nature set up a base of operations. That's your choice. But use your, use your freedom to serve one another. So, the first thing we see here is we have this choice, and how well we live together as a church, how well we serve one another as a church is going to depend on whether we let our, the sinful nature, the flesh, set up a base of operations in our hearts. And through that, set up a base of operations in our church. We can't let that happen, so what do we do? That takes us to the second point, there's a conflict to be won. There's a conflict to be won. Living together as a church is not easy. It's not easy now. Many of you, I'm sure, have been involved in church situations that have been very negative, maybe very ugly. Was no different 2,000 years ago. Notice in this passage that we had read earlier how many times the Apostle Paul talks about negative interpersonal type relationships. We have it in verse, in verse 15, where he says, "If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other." Further on, in verses 19 and 20, 19 and following, he lists 15. Fifteen works of the flesh or works of the sinful nature. Fifteen of them. It's quite a rogues gallery. Eight of those fifteen, over half of them, have to do with relationships. Look at what he has listed there beginning in verse 20. Hatred. Discord. It's being a troublemaker. Jealousy. Fits of rage. Selfish ambition. Dissension. Sowing dissension. Getting people worked up over things. Making the phone calls during the week. Factions, envy, all of those, all of those eight have to do with relationships, living together, having how we are with one another, and they all have at root, are rooted in our spiritual condition. And then finally in verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. All of these negative things have to do with relationships, are all things that are rooted in our flesh, rooted in our sinful nature, that Satan can use to disrupt us as a church family, as brothers and sisters in Christ. So there's a conflict to be won. In those those verses, the flesh is mentioned five times, in some translations in your service sheet, I believe it's the sinful nature, same thing. The Greek word actually literally is the flesh, but has been in English translated the sinful nature, same things. And the spirit, the Holy Spirit, is mentioned seven times. Hard to miss. The spirit, the flesh, the sinful nature, the Holy Spirit, conflict, conflict. And that conflict happens in us. You've probably heard the Aesop's fable about the scorpion and the frog. Maybe not, I'm gonna tell it to you anyway. Uh, Picture a, a rain swollen river and a frog is sitting at the bank of the river. A scorpion comes up behind the frog and says, hey, I need to get to the other side of the river. Now this is not a joke about why did the scorpion want to cross the river. I know that's what you're thinking. But the scorpion says to the frog, I need to, I need to get across the river. Can I hop on your back and you just swim me across? The frog says, no, you'll sting me and kill me. The scorpion says, well, why would I do that? If I sting you and kill you, I'll die too. I'll drown in the river. The frog says, okay, that makes sense. Hop on. So the scorpion hops on the frog's back. They start swimming across the river. Right in the middle of the river, the scorpion stings the frog. And the frog is paralyzed by the poison and is sinking. And as he's sinking beneath the river, he cries out, why did you do that? And the scorpion says, it's my nature. It's my nature. You see, scorpions sting. That's their nature even if it's not in their best interest. It's their nature. We sin. It's our nature. And we do it even when it's not in our best interest. So, what we see, what Paul is telling us in these verses, let me, let me read it again. He says, live by the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature." For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. They're in conflict. Now, it's interesting here that an unbeliever... A person who has not come to Christ, who has not come to faith in Christ, who has not been born again of the Holy Spirit, does not have this conflict. This is something unique to believers in Jesus Christ. Because the person who is without Christ, who has not been redeemed, who has not bowed their knee at the foot of the cross, only has the sinful nature. And nothing's in conflict with it. It's like a Democrat in Pittsburgh, it runs unopposed good, you're still with me. It runs unopposed. That doesn't mean that people who are not believers can't be nice people just because their sinful nature runs unopposed, still created in the image of God, still have a conscience. People without Christ can be good, can be nice, can be moral, can face moral dilemmas and make moral choices. They can be good friends, good neighbors, give you the shirt off their back be good employees. Not steal, not kill. And you know what? Satan is fine with that. He's fine with that. The biggest lie that Satan tells today, the biggest lie, the biggest deception is this. It, it's this. Listen carefully. God does only wants you to be good. Let me say that a little more clearly. God only cares about you being a good person. God wants you to be good. He wants you to be nice. He wants you to treat people fairly. That's what it's all about. Good people go to heaven. And if you try your best, you'll still get to heaven. But God, He's exceedingly tolerant. He just wants us to be nice. there are a lot of nice people out there. There are. And so Satan is fine if the sinful nature rules and you're still a nice person. He doesn't need many people without a conscience. He doesn't need many people being destructive and killing. It's fine if you're just a good person, as long as you're without Christ. But the Christian has a unique situation because when we come to Christ, when we're born again, we're born again of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, takes up residence in our life, takes up residence in our heart. That's pretty amazing when you think about it, isn't it? The third person of the Trinity lives in you through Christ, because of Christ. He lives in you and lives in your heart. And when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, this conflict starts. There's a conflict. Unbelievers don't have it, but you have it. And you know it's there. You feel it every day. And that's really where the rubber meets the road when it comes to living together as a church and serving one another and getting along together. Because there's this conflict happening, and whoever wins is going to have an effect on your life. It's going to have an effect on whether the sinful nature wins the conflict or whether the Holy Spirit wins the conflict. Sometimes we get defeated. Sometimes we get defeated in this conflict. We do. Anybody that's taken an Intro to Psychology class has probably had a textbook where it's had, this, had the example of a fish, I think it's like a a pike or a muskie or one of those, you know, game fish, and it's in a big tank. And in this tank is also a bunch of minnows. And what they do, the scientists do, is they put a glass panel between the pike and the minnows. So every time the pike tries to get to the minnows, it hits that glass, hits that glass, hits that glass. You know what happens? Eventually, it quits. It gives up. And they take out the glass, and the minnows just start swimming all around, all around. They're right there in front of the pike's mouth, and he doesn't even try. That's a picture, I think, of what happens to us when we get defeated by the sinful nature, by the flesh. We come to church... We hear about God's blessings. We hear about God's promises. We sing about it. And then we get out there in the real world, into real life, into the nitty gritty, and try to live for Christ, and we keep hitting up against that sinful nature. And we get defeated. And then what happens, we eventually become like that fish. God's promises, God's blessings are all around us right there. And we've just become weary. We've given up. We don't even try anymore. I've been there. Have you? Maybe you're there today. So this conflict, this conflict and the outcome of this conflict is so very important. But the great thing is we don't have to be defeated. We don't have to be that fish. We can win this conflict. See, the Holy Spirit in our life... Desires to renew us, desires to give us victory over the flesh, desires to to uh, renew us and recreate us and transform us into a new nature, a new nature that's in the likeness of Christ. Notice what Paul says there: because of this conflict, you aren't able to do what you want to do. You want to love God. If you're a believer, you want to obey God. You want to enjoy close fellowship with Christ. You want your life to be glorifying to God. You want that. But there's this conflict. And the answer is we're to walk and live in the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Spirit's power. We're to be led by the Spirit. And when that happens, then we see that there is a character, a Christ-like character to be cultivated The Holy Spirit produces in us the fruit of the Spirit. Instead of all of the negative things of the flesh, the fruit of the Spirit produces in us love and joy and peace and patience and faithfulness, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. It's the character of Christ. This is what the Holy Spirit desires for you. This is what the Holy Spirit works to transform your life into. But how does it happen? How does it happen? need to go real quickly in this final point. There's a character to be cultivated. Paul gives us two clues here. I'm going to have to hit them really quickly because I'm over time already. He says, verse 24, "...those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires." Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So two things. How do we cultivate the fruit of the Spirit in our lives? First of all, is mortification. That's a good old-fashioned word. A word uh, that the saints have used. It's maybe kind of fallen out of place in the church of today. But it means put to death. We are to put to death the sinful nature. We are to take it and nail it to the cross. We are to execute it. And this is something that involves a discipline, a daily discipline. It's something that each day we take the sinful nature and we nail it to the cross and put it to death and make sure it stays there. Because you know what happens? We nail it to the cross, we do that, and then Satan comes along and looks over our shoulder and says, you sure it's dead? Why don't you take out the nails? Why don't you go touch it again? You know, we all have that, that something in our life, at least one thing. It's different from all of us, probably. Where the flesh just has this hook in us. A hook in us. We can't seem to get past it. And so we, we exercise the spiritual discipline of mortification, putting it to death. And then Satan comes along and says, you sure it's dead? Why don't you take out the nails? And we do. And it's back. And the second thing... Is we are to keep in step with the Spirit. If you haven't noticed, if I haven't made it clear enough, all of this has to do with our inner life, with how we relate to the Holy Spirit. Keep in step with the Holy Spirit. That's marching, military marching terminology. Some of you guys who who uh, carried the flags on our patriotic Sundays, you'll know what I'm talking about. I was in the Air Force for four years basic training at, at Lackland Air Force Base, San Antonio, Texas. In basic training, you do a lot of marching. Hit, two, three, four. Hit, two, right. Some of you have been there. Keeping in step. You have 40, 50 guys marching along. Two, three, marching along. Keep in step. It's like that with the Holy Spirit. Keep in step. When I was in basic training, this is this is funny. And I know I'm running late, but just a few more minutes, please. Basic training. There was a guy, I was always right on the outside of the formation, and there was a guy in front of me, he was from Huntington, Pennsylvania, and just a big old farm boy. Name was Jackson, but think Gomer Pyle, and you've got the picture. We'd be marching along, and Jackson, I was good at keeping in step, by the way, Jackson would get out of step. And when he got out of step, he'd do the, kind of this hop to get back in. Well, we're on the outside of the formation. When he would hop, I would have to hop a little bit too. We're on the outside of the formation. The DI is right there walking along, watching everybody. He sees this. And he starts coming over. And I'm thinking, now it's always eyes straight ahead, but I'm thinking, oh, Jackson is going to get it. Jackson is going to get it. The DI comes up and he starts yelling at me. You know, he gets his hot breath and his nose right up in your jaw, and it's like, Jenkins, don't you get out of step. You keep in step. I don't care if you have to walk on him, you keep in step. I did. Jackson bunny hops, boom, my combat boot in the back of his calf. See, Jackson gets out of step, boom, I tramp on his ankle. I'm not getting out of step. No way. You know what, funny thing? Jackson got in step. And he stayed in step. I think it's a little bit of an illustration of why we need to defeat the flesh, defeat the sinful nature, why we need to learn spiritually how to be led by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, and live together as a church because we help each other keep in step with the Holy Spirit. We help each other stay in step. These are disciplines you just can't do on your own. You need your family. You need your brothers and sisters in Christ to be able to do it. Keep in step. Keep in step. You think we can do that as a church? I think we can. I think we can. Let's uh, bow in prayer as we close. Pastor Jared's going to come and close the service. I'd like to close, actually, with a benediction. And if Pastor Jared has a benediction, well, you'll get blessed twice. But uh, these words are the words to, um, were put to music, a benediction put to music by Michael Card that I think is appropriate for the message today. So just bow your your hearts and receive this benediction from the Lord. It goes like this. Remember to love one another and do what is pleasing to him. Be strengthened by grace and worship in reverence and awe the God of peace. And grace be with you all And may the great shepherd of the sheep equip you in all things for doing his will and for serving one another in love. And grace be with you all. And grace and peace be with you all. Amen.